Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Library Access, a KeyForge podcast brought to you by thekeyforge.com. Uh, as of today, we have a Patreon for all things uh, that, that the KeyForge produces, uh, including this show, Library Access. It's also going to cover our other podcasts, um, you know, our YouTube content, our Twitch streams, all all that good stuff that already exists and is coming in the near future. So if you're you're interested in contributing and becoming a patron and showing your thanks, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash the KeyForge. Uh, that link will also be in the description. Um, I thought we would start this episode by introducing ourselves. Um, I think we did something like that in episode zero, but our cast has changed. I think this is kind of the final lineup for library access. So you know, what a what a better time than than now to, you know, introduce who we are and what what we're all about. Um, I'll start. You know, my name is Nick. Um, I've I've been kind of the the one you've heard babbling on through all the episodes. So if you watched episode zero, you already kind of know who I am. But I uh, I don't have a huge background in card games. Uh, I played a lot of Hearthstone uh, way back in the day. I used to play Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh, but I, I totally dropped off that. You know that was that was stuff I did as a kid, uh, and I've tried to get into magic a couple times, but there were a couple things about it that that stopped me from you know, really getting in there. So when I heard about KeyForge, I kind of jumped on the opportunity, and I I haven't let go since. Um, but yeah, that's that's who I am in a nutshell. I'm sure you'll hear me on all sorts of other stuff that the KeyForge produces, but right now library access is kind of my focus. So anyone else? Hey, uh, I'm Alex. Uh, very happy to be here, as always, uh, to chop it up a little bit about KeyForge. Um, my own background with games is that I played Magic way, 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 way back in the day, like in the, the mid-90s, um, circa, oh gosh, like Ice Age and all those expansions. And uh, at a certain point, I decided that card games are for nerds, and I sold all of my books, or sold all of my cards, rather, used it to buy RPG books, which I then promptly forgot about or sold. And uh, although I'm a heavy board gamer, um, avid video gamer, and so on and so forth, uh, I'd never really picked up a card game again uh, until Keyforge, because everything I had heard about it made it sound like something that was very appealing for me. Um, some of the stuff we've already talked about on the podcast, like the rapidly developing uh, meta or lack thereof, and the fact that it's a low barrier of entry, and uh, I, I became extremely addicted in an extremely short period of time. So uh, yeah, I, I'm very excited to talk more Keyforge. And uh, I'm Steven. Um, for the most part, I've been in and out of card games. Uh, the most recent one, uh, aside from Keyforge, obviously, has been uh, Fantasy Flight's Netrunner. Um, that was what I was doing for about two years. Um, other than that, I mostly stick into video games, tabletop RPGs, and board games. Um, Keyforge kind of brought me back into card games as well. Um, for the most part, I, I tend to play the digital card games as well, uh, like Slay the Spire and The Last Hex. Um, so it's, it's still in the wheelhouse of what I play. Um, but yeah, ever since I got a hold of a Keyforge deck opening day, like it's been absolutely great. And I've been trying to focus a lot of my content creation on Twitch as well as uh, in, in-person play on Keyforge itself. So I'm really happy to be here. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to be on the podcast and I hope that you guys all enjoy us having us here. I have a question that is mostly to satisfy my own curiosity more than anything. Um, and I have it written down in a really stupid way in the notes, but it's <laughs> like, how, how familiar are you with KeyForge? And I mean, not as 
I don't know, that was a really stupid way to put it, but are you guys, do you feel like you're super comfortable with like, you know, the game and all the inner workings and like more, more of what I'm asking, I guess, is like card names, right? And I guess I'll just explain my situation. For some reason, I cannot retain card names. Like I know people, these brilliant card game people who can look at the card art alone and tell you the name of the card, what it does, like the, you know, its house, all this stuff. And I was wondering, like, am I, am I alone? And like, just for some reason, not, not being able to, to, you know, recite that thing. Like, like I've studied it with flashcards or are you, you know, are you guys on the same page? I can generally do it for anything that I have in any of my own decks, uh, provided I've played with them two or three times. Um, Mm -hmm. I find that there's enough crossover and I've played enough games against other people that those ones tend to to stick pretty easily, but I'm still seeing cards that I don't think I've ever seen before. And I've never studied a list of cards that I didn't have access to play with myself. So mm-hmm. I guess that'll come with time, but the game is still so young. Like, I think it's wild that people already have like the mechanics and the, like list of cards and how those would go together and how they play exactly totally memorized because you know the the game's only existed in the public sphere for what like a month at this point you know so right. i don't think that what you're feeling is necessarily uh uncommon i think a lot of people are still in that place of trying to figure out and remember you know what every card does it'll come with time yeah i actually uh i kind of got fed up not knowing a couple of cards that i uh, kept seeing um mostly in brobner because i that's the deck that i have the least of our house of um but yeah no i i eventually just like yesterday and this morning sat down and i went through the entire card list because i want to start making sure i know what all those cards are um and for one of the local tournaments that i was at i was more or less the to um i just had a bit more knowledge of the game itself than the person who was running it unfortunately so I kind of like just kind of stepped up and took that position. So now that I'm kind of seen as like, hey, if you have a question, ask, ask Steve. Um, I've kind of taken into it that I want to be able to answer all those questions. So yeah, I've been taking the time to go through all the card lists and like getting all the interactions. But it's it takes time. Yeah, it's it's only been out for a month, and I mean, there's a lot of questions that we're still asking, and the devs are still answering for us. So I, I don't think that you're mistaken feeling that way and i think a lot of people are going to fall in the same same boat as you is that you know the cards that are in your deck you know how they interact with each other and some of the more edge case stuff like eh, i'll figure out when it comes up right i uh i found a handy pdf somebody had created and it was just like nine cards a page and it was however many pages all you know 370 cards and i downloaded it thinking i was going to do some like actual studying sit down and read it and I've, I've tried a couple times, but I just, I don't retain any of it. You know, like, you know, like someone said a couple seconds ago, I, uh, you know, I, I know I'm familiar with most of the cards in my deck, obviously. Um, but I, I would just, I have a hard time, you know, when people throw things down, just being able to, you know, without flipping it around and reading it myself, knowing what it is. And I'm, I'm hoping that's something I can learn, uh, especially with such a small card pool, you know, 370. Uh, but, I guess time will tell. I found a site that just has the picture of the card and the name of the card on top. And then when you click it, it shows you the entire card. So that's like the, the flashcard way that I've been doing it just to kind of keep up on it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a neat idea. Same thing with like the, the PDF that has the nine cards on each page. Like there, mm-hmm. there are tools out there if you're looking for 
that kind of mastery of the of the cards, but it's, I don't think it's going to be necessary unless you you know really really need to have that information at your disposal. Right. Well, here's a question, kind of a follow up question that spawned my first one. Um, at the beginning of a game, you know, if you play this way, if if your opponent gives you their identity card and you you know before a match for you to look over for two minutes. Do you retain any of that? And I guess a second like follow-up question is what do you look for when you when you have access to that identity card? Power cards. hundred uh, percent. That is the there are certain cards that I know my deck can't handle, and I want to know if they're in the other person's deck so I can start formulating a plan to play around them. Um I've got a deck that relies on cooperative hunting. Uh, has three cooperative huntings and twenty some odd creatures in the deck. I need to know what removal he has. Like that's on a mass scale. Like if he's got gateway or key to two dice, um, if he's got some crazy Brobnar, um, the one that destroys all undamaged creatures. I forget what the name of it is, but like those are the kinds of cards that I'm looking for off the top of my head. As I say that I forget a name of a card that I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm looking for Amber removal. Um, I'm looking to see if he's got uh, uh, Gateway to Heaven or uh, whatever the name of that card is, the uh, the Sanctum one, or Bait and Switch, or anything else that's uh, gonna that's gonna basically make it risky for me to retain large amounts of uh, or generate large amounts of Amber on a single turn. Two or three of the decks that I have are very good at if I play them correctly, being able to generate sizable amounts of Amber pretty quickly. And what always ends up happening is that if I'm not paying attention um, and I'm playing against Shadows or Sanctum, I generate like 10 Amber in a turn or something like that, and I'm sitting pretty, and then the next thing I know, I'm down to half of that because, well, they had something ready for it to answer that. So those are the things I'm generally looking for because then I will be a little more wary about exactly how much Amber I'm generating at any given time. And if you're playing against Shadows, that's just a good strategy one way or the other. So Yeah. I mean, unless you really love your Shadows player, and then they're going to thank you for all the Amber you got for them. Like, 10 out of 10. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Okay, well, that's good to know. Because I, you know, I always assume everyone's looking at those deck lists and just retaining all of that knowledge, and they know exactly what to look for, and their brain is just just formulating all these combos, and I'm just totally incapable of all of it. So I'm, I'm glad to know I'm not alone there, and you know, I don't know if that'll change as time goes on and we all get more familiar with the cards or if it'll kind of, you know, just be that it sounded like both of you had the same answer kind of was just to you have cards you're looking for, like specific types of cards or whatever. And it's not just looking at it in a hole and seeing what pops out like you're going into it with something in mind. Yeah. Uh, so that's good to know. But speaking of loosely speaking of kind of starting a game out, uh, I had a question. Which, uh, in your guys' opinion, I don't know if there's an objective answer yet. I'm sure there is. We just don't know it. Um, which is it? Is it better to go first or second? I like going first. I honestly do. Um, the mulligan, um, you know, basically, it won't guarantee that you get a card that you want to play. But more often than not, I find that if I don't get the the draw of the cards that I want and I'm going first, a mulligan will get at least one of them into my hand. So I really enjoy having just that option to put something out number one and be ready to do something on my second turn. Um, obviously, there's a huge advantage to being able to put out, you know, theoretically your entire hand going second. But, uh, you know, you still have a leg up even if the other person gets to play more cards if you were the very first person to get something onto the board. And I also think that going first gives you the option. Like, if your if your hand is really good for that second for your second turn, 
then you play the house that you know that you didn't put out first and set more of a board. If the opponent really didn't do anything, you can put pressure on them with your, you know, if you put down a creature or an artifact. Um, it, it really, it depends on the deck. And I definitely have seen a couple decks in my local meta that really want to go second. Um, but for the most part, like, it, it going first gives you a better mulligan and more options on the second turn. Whereas going second gives you a bursty second turn. You kind of can come out of the gate. I don't want to say swinging a bit harder, but a little bit further than your than the person going first. What about you, Nick? Uh, it's interesting you guys both said that because I have kind of the opposite feeling about it. I just, and it's maybe because I don't think about it enough and I don't kind of play strategically enough, but I'd much rather go second. I I feel like you're almost crippled by not being able to just give it everything you got and, you know, throw down half your hand in a single house. Um, I, I feel like I'm most always inconvenienced by going first. And I, like, I, I have it written down here in the notes uh, as like a follow-up question. If, you know, in a perfect world, maybe not a perfect world, but what card in your, your go-to deck in assuming, assuming you're playing the same deck every time and assuming more often than not, you're getting to play first. Is there a card that you see yourself playing first more often and i i have one it's wild wormhole yeah and i well and i do it mostly just out of like laziness and just you know there's nothing in my hand that really benefits me from playing this turn so you know maybe this will do something or you know at really what i'm i guess what i'm hoping for is that like you know wild wormhole give me an amber and then it'll play something else stupid that gives me another amber and i'll get that you know two amber ahead i mean there's there's I could get lucky like there's a whatever that sanctum card is that gives you it's victorious something was god i should know deeds? this virtuous, virtuous deeds, deeds. that three, three, three amber yeah yeah um i you know i could hope for something like that but or i guess you know i could play a card like that if i had it in my hand but for the most part i feel like going first is an inconvenience and i almost wish they had made it um whoever wins you know the dice roll the coin flip whatever gets to decide because then you know everyone would be happy but I, I see I see the benefit in kind of keeping things fair for making it the way it is now. I just I don't I don't prefer to go first, definitely. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent on board with playing Wild Wormhole as your first card whenever possible. Um I think it's the most key forgiest key forge card. Um it speaks to the sort of the swing and the randomness and the the sort of like general aesthetic of the game in a lot of ways. So I think there's something thematically fun about playing it first. Uh, the terror will always be my first pick. Your opponent doesn't have any amber. He hasn't played. You put down a five power creature. You gain two amber. It's your turn. Go ahead. Yeah, that's uh, the, I haven't played enough dis, and I don't have any decks with the terror in it. But that is frustrating to me when I see that come out as a first card. For me, it's a uh, bear flute, uh, or a compod for Mars. Uh, for those who don't know, compod is like a super underrated artifact. I, I love it. Wherein, uh, basically reveal however many Mars cards from your hand, that old Mars trick. And then for every one that you reveal, you can, uh, untap or ready, I guess a, a Mars creature. So if on your first term you get that out and you have, you know, two or three or four, even Mars cards in your hand, the next turn, then literally you can start putting out creatures and using Compod to you know, get them ready to go literally on the first turn on the board. It's fantastic. Hmm. Okay, and Bear Flute, uh, 
action. Fully here and fully heal an ancient bear. If there are no ancient bears in play, search your deck and discard pile and put each ancient bear from them into your hand. If you do, shuffle your discard pile into your deck. I don't. I guess that could be handy. You know, assuming you got a bunch of bears in your deck, you know, three something like that. But even then, like it, that, that to me seems like a like an almost a waste of a turn because then you've played effectively nothing. Like you have you have nothing on the board to show for it, and you just kind of have to suffer through your opponent's turn, which kind of ends up being like the first turn of the game, and they get that advantage. You know, granted, you get to put all those bears out next turn. Um, well, it's an, it's an art. Yeah, it's an artifact. Yeah, it, it takes. You won't even be able to get it. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I thought it was an action. Okay. Well, uh, it, it's a artifact action then fully heal gotcha yeah okay it's it's not as good as everyone thinks it is it's um i don't think it's a bad first turn play though because it lets you in in mana terms it lets you ramp um it basically you put that down first turn and you go next time i'm gonna come untamed i'm gonna put out x number of bears and you need to deal with it and I do feel like that is one of the central tenets of, of play is that decision axis between reap or deal with my opponent's board. And so the earlier that you can force that decision, I think that the more advantageous it is for you. So being able to, on your second turn, put out some relatively powerful creatures and also have the means to continuously heal them or bring them back on the board, you are forcing your opponent towards that decision. Um, uh, you know, I, I like that kind of gameplay, like really trying to get towards that axis as fast as possible. Yeah, and, and a five-power Assault 2 creature, that's pretty scary. That's true. Uh, I have a question. Would you get... Something you guys just said made me think of it. Would you rather play somebody uh whose deck you're super familiar with you know like like you're you know gary from pokemon style rival you, you know everything about him uh you, you know you know how he plays you know kind of how his deck plays like that would you rather play that like super intense you know i picked this deck just to play against your deck and stuff like that or would you rather pick play a stranger with you know a sealed deck you know if i i get that like both are super fun but if you had to pick one or personally are you more of a you know, kind of like the randomness of it and the you know just the fun casual whatever or you know do you like the really intense like kind of battle you know i'm picturing like lord of the rings music in the background just really going at it i you know honestly i when you first asked the question i thought i was going to go with the random person but with same with lord of the rings and like making it like that intense thing. I think I'd rather have the more intense. I, I, you know, we both know everything about our decks. We both know how to pilot them well. I, I think I'd rather have that more intense showdown. But I think mm -hmm. I would enjoy playing the random person more because it'd be a lot less right. stressful. That's true. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that, a hundred percent. Actually, I guess my my biggest uh, thing is that I tend to have a lot of fun not knowing what's coming. Like it's mm -hmm. almost fun for me, you know, playing against people on the crucible or, you know, at a local game store who I've never, you know, met before, never played against before, have no idea what they have. And there's just that element of just like, Oh, what's coming next, which I think is like almost the most fun way to play. I haven't played against enough people or enough games against folks with decks that I've played against before to really start to get that familiarity that I think could add a dimension to play. 
I mean, the, 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 the whole extended, you know, part of that too, is the idea that maybe eventually you start to look for decks that you specifically know you could play against a rival with a favored deck and, you know, be able to bring something new to the table in that competition. That sounds super fun to me. You know, that idea mm -hmm. of just, all right, you've got, you know, your double horseman or, you know, time traveler help from future self deck or whatever your your hot combo is now i've got the thing to deal with that and you're not going to see it coming so you know let's throw down at the kitchen table or whatever that that does sound like a lot of fun i must say right well and i've like i've gone on record i think last episode saying that sealed to me so far and actually i haven't played in an actual sealed tournament uh i've played sealed games you know where I'll go to Keyforge Night, and there's a fellow there who just bought a deck, and he's sleeving it up, and I'll pull one of mine out that I haven't played yet. And it it's so far pretty consistently been the the type of game I enjoy the most. You know, I, I definitely enjoy playing Archon, whatever. You know, pulling out my you know, my good my library deck that does super well. Um, but it is it is fun to just just to try something new and learn learn different combos that didn't know existed, and it's it's interesting because like. Well, the way it works, like unless you're really super deep in the Keyforge community and you're 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 watching these people play and you're like really studying, it's the way it's made up. You know, there's no constructed format. Like you really are only learning about cards and combos when you encounter them firsthand. Like you're you're not sitting there flipping through your binder, coming up with different combos and ideas. Like you're really just sorting through your your one deck and like that's what it, you know. Even you know, every once in a while, you might see one deck. You know, you might be looking through a new deck and think, oh, I wish this, you know, this deck had this card that I'm really familiar with my other deck. But for the most part, it's you kind of are looking at your current deck in your hands with blinders on. So I, I like playing a sealed type of sealed type of format for that reason alone that you, you get to learn new, not mechanics of the game, but just like new in, interesting interactions, I guess, if that makes sense. I will say that I think one of the, the weird things about Keyforge is the first time I get well and truly smoked by a combo I did not see coming and had never seen before. Like, that's delightful to me. Like, clap my hands. Well, you got me on that one. I'll be on the lookout for that one again. Getting smoked with it twice is a bit less fun. Three or four times, it starts to get really frustrating, especially if it's a huge amber or a big board wipe or something else to that effect. So once mm -hmm. again, I think there's the, you know, a real advantage to that, you know, sort of sealed or, you know, haven't played against before kind of combo uh, scenario in that I, I tend to get less salty about, uh, you know, stuff that I've never seen before because it really does feel like, well... I, I learned something today and hopefully I can take something away from this. But if you just see the same thing over and over and over and it kind of feels like it's locking you out, that's less fun to play and more frustrating. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a perfect segue into the next topic. It's a big one and it's going to, it's going to stir up some shit. I'm sure. Uh, is Keyforge is Keyforge competitive? I want to hear your answer first. Go for this. I, I want to hear what you are, because I'm pretty sure you and I are going to be having fighting words in a second. So, all right, I'm the one who added this one to the to the to the conversation. So I just want to quickly preface this with my thoughts around it. I'm not sure how I feel about the this question. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not even sure if I have a strong opinion one way or the other. But I felt like you guys would, so I am incredibly keen to hear what you guys have to say on the topic. Okay, well, I'll go for it. Um, and I, I'm probably the last person you want to go on it because 
I'll be the first to admit I'm like the least educated on all things Keyforge, I guess. I feel that way, at least. I don't know. But I I mean, it's it's a tricky question, isn't it? And I didn't really come super prepared with an answer. But anything can be competitive. You know, you can make skipping rocks competitive. Uh, a, a better question might be, will it be embraced as competitive? And we'll assume for the sake of this conversation that Keyforge just takes off and continues to just, you know, just peak forever. It's just, it, everyone loves it. It's awesome. The numbers are there. People come to events. It's, it's great. Um, I would say, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably competitive. Um, I think the current system with, you know, the Archon format, you know, bring your best deck and then chains, which like discourages you from actually playing your best deck and your best deck constantly gets, penalized and you have to shelve it and pull something else out that doesn't have all those chains um i think that can be potentially problematic and i want to say something somebody in the comments said uh boy you guys are so negative it wasn't it wasn't great to listen to um i don't know if that's valid or not and i i feel i didn't take it too much to heart because like everyone here obviously like loves the shit out of keyforge so if we have criticism or we're just you know thinking out loud don't you know don't let that put you off you know we obviously all love keyforge we all want it to succeed like none of us are really shitting on any part of it um but i i just wanted to say that because like i you know i've been making an effort to not be negative but this you know this parts of this show are gonna sound kind of negative but it's really more just thinking out loud just know like we're all on the same team we all love this game i don't think any um, of us gave it, up a part of our weekend to talk about keyforge because we hate keyforge Right, right. We're this isn't a conspiracy. We're not, you know, employed by wizards and just trying to keep keep Keyforge down to keep magic up or something. But anyway, um, I I think that you know the Archon format won't lend itself to competitive play super well. Um, I mean it's it's going to. I think I think competitive is going to be a thing and tournaments are going to be a, a decent sized deal and they're going to be you know Archon format and that's awesome and I don't hate it. Uh, but I think. I think two two things, and one of them's a kind of valid thought, and the other one's just total water trash, and it's just my personal preference, and it's okay if you guys hate it because I only kind of say it tongue-in-cheek. But my real thought on it, it is, well, I bet, but my real thought is <laughs> sealed. I think sealed, which doesn't seem like it would be good for competitive at all, um, but maybe, you know, a sealed with a – you know, where you swap decks or you, you know, best of three or something like that with three different sealed decks, some, some combination of that where it's not just like this broken, you know, people bring broken decks that are Archon format that are just like the best meta. I think, you know, at that point, especially if you're swapping decks and introducing new decks or maybe, you know, some, some kind of crazy thing where you're playing three different totally unique decks or whatever it ends up being. I think that would be great because then it's truly like, how skilled you are as a you know a deck pilot and not necessarily just like the deck you have in your hand because i i've lost to people who have cracked open their decks for the very first time just because they got an awesome deck you know I, i'm over here priding myself on like i literally have one great deck i have i have a bunch of fours out of fives but i have one five and that deck loses every once in a while to like a brand new person just because they got super lucky uh with their you know maybe they're actually good and they just don't realize it but whatever the case um I think a sealed format might be great for, for in my mind, for like a real serious competitive thing because it takes out some of the the key forgedness that might not be so great for competitive play, like penalizing people for doing well. Um, my 
this is this is kind of my tongue in cheek one. It's it's mostly a silly response. Don't rip on me in the comments for it. But we discussed uh, a format that we kind of thought up a while back that was alliance. And the the basic idea, if you didn't hear episode one, I think it was, um, you basically separate your decks into their separate houses, and then you build a deck out of whatever houses from those decks you want. So you it's not really constructed. You're not just throwing whatever cards you want in there. But you're, you know, you might have a de- an existing deck that has like a really awesome logos and shadows, and your your Brobnar in there is total crap. So you go and you pull a Mars out of one of your other decks, or you know, a replacement Brobnar, whatever it is. I think if a format like that were to really like take off and gain steam, um, and it wasn't just shot down immediately by the community, I think that could be a real competitive format because then you're letting people kind of, you know, you're letting people create a deck that's kind of their particular play style they're not you're not just hoping that you know you buy a deck and you find one that is like okay or decent enough because that's what keyforge is right now like yeah i'm sure there's some people who are super happy with their deck but for the most part it's you know good enough and that's that's kind of my opinion like i you know my my deck that i reference all the time is good enough i can see things that can be better about it i think there's like three cards in it that are just total nonsense that i would love to strip out of there which wouldn't even be applicable in what i'm talking about because the the houses in a whole are good but i I won't rant too too much on this because it's a nonsense suggestion for a format that isn't real but if something like that were to take off i think that could be super great for competitive because then it's you know then it's your responsibility if your deck is too good and you know maybe you could alter it and that shakes chains if chains exist in this format i don't know but to, to make a short answer super super long i apologize Yes, I think it's com- it's it's ready to be competitive. I think it will be competitive. Um, I think there's some things with you know how the game works, the mechanics of it right now that will put off like competitive players that you might come from like Magic competitive or something like that. But for the most part, I think yeah, there will be a competitive scene. I do think there is going to be a competitive scene for KeyForge eventually, not during the Age of Discovery. N- no. Um the the chain mechanic as it is right now i don't see it working as intended um mostly just because uh, and i touched on this in the last episode the the way that i get the chain mechanic idea is that they want the absolute best deck and the absolute worst deck to win 50 percent of the time and that's a coin flip assuming equal skill and you know the decks being at a point of x amount of chains being equal um, which is why I don't think competitive is a thing yet. Um, I, I definitely will say that Keyforge competitive is going to be a thing. I do not see it as a thing with rules at current. Um, either Sealed or Archon. Uh, Archon. Archon is the better format, I think, compared to when you said with Sealed. Um, Sealed's, and I love Keyforge for its randomness, and I love the Sealed format. In, as a whole, but as a major tournament, like if I'm going to like Worlds for Keyforge, I want to bring my own thing. I want to bring something I'm comfortable with. I want to go. I want to sit down at a table and not be like, all right, let me look at my deck list halfway through. Oh, yeah, this card does this. And then going through, I want to have a deck that I know, that I've prepared for, that I, you know, if I'm up against Shadows with a routine job, I do this. Or if I'm up against Broadnar with Loot the Bodies, I'll do this thing instead. Um, 
You know, I, I said everything I just said, and I totally agree with you, honestly. And I guess I was thinking, I was thinking tournament more in, and I'm not, I'm not like moving the goalposts. Um, I, I agree with you just like a hundred percent, but I was thinking tournament more in like a local tournament, like going to your key forge. And I guess that's not really competitive scene. I guess, you know, competitive suggests that it, you know, you keep going higher and higher in it, but in the context of like a, you know, a tournament at my local store, you know, even if it's like a decently serious one, right. It's just the chains. That's what it is. That's what really bothers me. And somebody really ragged on me in the comments about hating on chains. And they said, like, we didn't know what we were talking about. But everything we said has been accurate as far as chains go, um, I think. I think I missed like, a couple I, of times. But, uh, you know, that's I me. I mean, overall, I, I, think we're, I think we have a good idea of how the chains work. Um, you know, we can only go by what little information has trickled out. So, you know, give us a break. But, yeah. um, you know, I, it's the, the chain system bothers me. And it's... It's wacky to me the way they're doing it with, uh, you know, you get chained locally. It's, I think it was like if you get, I have it written down in a note document. If you get three it's wins, three, yeah, yeah, you get you get chained, and it's like that's such a low bar to get penalized. You know, I can be lucky and get three chains, or you know, or three wins. But you'll shed them quickly, and that that's kind of the idea. Is that the chain? Like, I love their theory. I love the chains in theory. I think the numbers need to be a little tweaked on them. Like maybe three is too low. Maybe it needs to be certain card combos. The chain idea is solid and I love it. It just needs, it feels like the chain idea is in beta and kind of the age of discovery in general is kind of an open beta for this game. We're all going crazy and this game's not done yet. And they've said that we're going to be getting, you know, another kind of core set of cards eventually we're going to be getting more things we're going to get a finalized format this game is alive right now and it's it's the same way that magic was when it when it was started out it's alive it's going to grow and new formats are going to come out like um commander from magic that was just a fan favorite format that wizards was like you know everyone likes this let's just make this a thing the game is alive and there'll be changes that everyone is going to love. There's going to be changes that everyone's going to hate. And and that's okay with a game that's still growing and evolving. But right now, I don't see the game as competitive because of its randomness nature. Like, a sealed, a competitive sealed tournament, whoever pulls the best deck probably wins. And that's not to say that a good pilot can't pilot a slightly worse deck. Right. And like I said, it'd it'd have to be a unique situation with that, you know, where where there's, you know, six decks opened up and then, you know, each each match you're playing with a different deck. So there's, you know, and I, I don't like the idea of playing, you know, playing a deck and then swapping it with the other person unless you're doing it for fun, because it's, you know, if if you're two like really good players, you can determine which deck is good and bad. You know, especially, you know, one person wins by a landslide and then you're swapping and it's just like, okay, well, I'll spend the next 40 minutes here just losing, just knowing I'm going to lose and then just to get it over with. And then bidding chains on the final deck and then somebody still gets screwed. I don't know. I just, I don't care a whole lot for that. You know, the kind of swapping. And see, I think, I think that's the most competitive format. I think that's the, the end game. What the, what the tournament format is going to be, is going to be Archon Adaptive by far. Uh, it it forces you to know your deck, and it also forces you to know how to beat your deck with any deck. Uh, it's by far the most skill-intensive version of Keyforge that, that exists in all the matchups. 
uh, probably second to ACO thing where you open up and go, oh, I need to win with this deck. Let me look at it for five seconds. All right, let's go. Uh, I I think Archon Adaptive is the answer. Um, and like I said, I all the pieces are there for Keyforge to be competitive. And it's going to be a great time when this game gets competitive. I'm going to... I'm going to travel as far and wide as I can for this game. I love this game. Uh, I'm giving up my weekend to come talk about it, you know, online, hanging out with everybody here. I absolutely love this game. That doesn't mean this game is perfect yet. Uh, and like I said, the game is going to grow and evolve. And we're going to find that sweet spot that exists for competitive play. The sweet spot for casual play already exists. You can go to your local game store, spend some bucks, buy a deck, play with a friend go um you can do the same thing with other card games in the, in the same regard like you buy a core set of l5r um netrunner when it existed you just bought a core set the decks are already pretty much ready to go and magic you can buy the cubes they're like those six decks there and everything is pretty much ready to go in a casual format for any card game that you really want to find keyforge just needs to take a little bit and that's what the Age of Discovery is all about right now, and find its identity for a competitive scene. Let me ask you this, then. Do you think, uh, in their wisdom, that FFG deliberately held back on deploying chains and have kept things nice and loose so as not to strangle the game in its infancy? And what I mean by that is... Did they want to get it out there, get the hype train going, get everybody excited, get everybody playing before they start locking it down in certain ways? A hundred percent. I absolutely think that we are. I'm going to when I say the word open beta, that has a kind of a, a negative connotation to it. And I don't mean it in that regard because the game is still great and it's still fun to play right now. It's a great game. But I definitely feel that Fantasy Flight kind of keeping keeping their head low and quiet allows them to change some things in the background and be like, all right, our players were like, hey, here's this chain idea. And everyone's like, eh. they'll be like, eh, you know what? Chains were not a great idea. We tested them. You know, they could say whatever they want, but it allows it allows Fantasy Flight to backpedal a little bit if they need to. And that's again, that's not bad. Yeah, I think that's also the case for the um, the online play that hasn't really been confirmed a whole lot. It's been teased and suggested, but um, I, I think that was a, a tactful choice. I don't think it's just not ready. I think they're they're making a point to delay it so people go out and buy the physical game and kind of spread the and establish a physical presence, and then a digital one will come later as kind of a secondary thing where they where they kind of reiterate that like, look, the game is a physical card game. Go play it. Um, but here's, you know, when you're going to bed, here's a way to play, you know, test your decks, stuff like that. I think that was done intentionally also. I, I also firmly believe that 50% of Keyforge players are not playing Keyforge yet. I, and I think it's something that we as a community, as people making this podcast, as people listening to this podcast, people on Facebook and Twitter that are in these groups, I think we need to also spread this game out. Because I don't think, I think when it's all said and done, Keyforge has the potential to be a game equal to or rivaling Magic the Gathering. And people are, I'm, I'm going to be on blast in the comments for that. People are going to rip me apart. And that's okay. Um, I don't think it's going to be ever as big specifically as Magic. 
in general because there's so many different formats you can play in Magic and stuff like that. But because of the low bar of entry and the attention to detail that they've made for this game, it, I definitely see it being a rival. And the Age of Discovery is exactly that. Fantasy Flight's discovering what they need to do with the game. We're, as ambassadors, more or less, taking the game out and having other people, our friends, people at our local game shops, they're also discovering this game. And I've I've been noticing that at my local game store, every night we get a couple of people who are just like, you know, hey, what's this thing that's been crazy selling out that, you know, everyone's been excited for? And we're like, oh yeah, it's Keyforge, come sit down. It'll take like 10 minutes to learn the game. Here's a couple of decks, let's go. Mm-hmm. Those are big shoes to fill. Yeah, very big. The biggest. Right. Um, the, I mean, it's like saying it's like saying an MMORPG is going to kill WoW. Is it ever going to kill WoW? No, but it'll it can get close. I mean, you can carve out its own niche too. I mean, I think that one of the strengths of KeyForge is that it's not magic, and that it's specifically designed not to be magic. So, one, you have the advantage of people like myself who, over the years, have like this weird craving, this little itch that they cannot scratch, and that itch is I used to play magic. And I want that gameplay again. I want the satisfaction of sitting down across from somebody and playing a card game like this. That's like a call and response, like a chess game. And yet I know if I get back into magic, it's going to be a drain on my wallet. And I'm going to get stomped into oblivion because the game has progressed so much since I was familiar with it that it will take a titanic amount of time, money, and basically effort for me to get up to a point where I can actually have fun playing against it, even, you know, just casually uh, against other players. Um, So you can scoop up people like myself who are in that position, people who have always been curious about playing a game like that, but are intimidated by the same things about magic. And you can scoop up disillusioned magic players. Like I, I do think that there is some strength to Keyforge being distinct from magic and specifically to the things that Richard Garfield made design wise decision or decisions design wise to separate it from magic like i think he wanted the crazy swing that's in keyforge gameplay i think he wanted you know they're not always to be an answer for certain things or that the answer is you know sort of luck dependent or what have you like i i do think that that's part of the game's appeal in so many ways i feel like i'm that facebook meme where it's like i'm in this photo and i don't like it because i agree with you <laughs> like it, it definitely has a different flavor than magic, but it it also it can stand it on its own in the ring with magic. And I and I I'm willing to put the bet down that given time, if Fantasy Flight and the players, you know, promote this and treat this as something that is in turn equal to magic, it will stand up in in the ring against magic. I hope so. Me too. I don't like being wrong on my bets. It's a bad time. Well, and it doesn't make sense <laughs> to bet against it. You know, it'd be bad. I don't want to be negative. And that, that would be super negative um, because I would love for it to, to, you know, and it's, it's kind of like you compared it to like, will it ever, you know, will a, will a new MMO ever kill WoW? Like, no, probably not. But that's not to say like, you know, it's for, you know, for Keyforge to succeed, Magic doesn't have to lose. You know, it's, they, they're, they're different games and there's, they're different they're different, you know, like wavelengths on the on the spectrum. They can both exist kind of at the top in their own fields. They're different, and Keyforge has the benefit of uh, a guy at my LGS uh, about an hour ago was talking about Keyforge, and he said, you know, it plays 
you know, Magic plays kind of like a traditional card game, and Keyforge is kind of more of a board game. And I say in that, like, you know, you can play like a card game, you could collect and do this and that and trade, or, you know, you can buy this you know, kind of whatever they're called. The, they're, there's a magic box that you can buy that, that I think I talked about this other, the other episode, um, where you buy, it comes with eight decks and they're all built like specifically to compete with each other. And it's, it treats magic kind of like a board game. Like you just buy it, you put it in your closet and you can pull it out and, you know, duel that way. Um, so I, I don't know. I, 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 I hope so. I, I, I went on a little tangent there, but I, I hope it competes and I think it will in in its own way. You know, they're they're different different styles of games and I think that will allow it to succeed. Whereas if it were kind of a traditional, you know, constructed collectible card game, uh, it might have a way harder time because everyone would just say, like, oh it's you know, it's it's bootleg hearthstone meets magic. It- and I'm also real curious to see what the people who are listening to this podcast also feel about that. So please, like, I know everyone goes, hey, comment, you know, like, comment, subscribe kind of thing. But if you're listening to this, please post in the comments and it, just tell me. Even if you got to yell at me, pl- just please yell at me. Tell me that I'm wrong with this. But I want to hear everyone's opinion on, on this topic because I think everyone's going to have a different opinion. I'll second that. Um, I, I I know, you know, it's just kind of the YouTube meme just to say, oh, thanks, guys. You know, like, comment, subscribe. Let me know what you think about this, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, those people are never reading those comments. They're not responding. Like, I I would genuinely would like there to be discussion in the comments. You know, it's it's really interesting for me to learn, you know, from from you guys, um, especially because most of the listeners are are super nice and super, you know, like uh, from what I've got messages on Discord and Facebook and Reddit and stuff like that. And they're always like really informative. And I, I like that about the kind of community we're building, you know, like with the keyforge.com, everyone seems to be like really like nice about things. You know, they're, they're happy to tell me why I'm wrong in the, in the total nicest way possible. So yeah, please like, it's, it's not BS when we say like, yeah, let us know what you think we're, you know, I, I think it's, you know, I think it was you that were you, you watched the YouTube premiere when the, the video first went up and you were just talking to like literally anybody in that chat that would talk to you, you'd talk back to them. And I thought that was really cool. Just, we, we want to talk to you guys. We actually like legitimately do. So don't hesitate to do that. Um, we mentioned, go ahead. One of the other awesome things about Keyforge right now is the fact that Keyforge is a blank slate in so many ways. Like, things are developing quickly, but we don't know where it's going, and we don't know everything about it. Like, the people on this podcast do not admittedly know everything about Keyforge, and I don't think that's the reason why we sat down to, you know, record this podcast. We sat down to record it because there's so much to be discovered just through having conversations with other people about Keyforge. So that kind of interaction really does, you know, benefit the game as a whole, because as far as I'm concerned, there really are no true experts about Keyforge other than possibly people who work for Fantasy Flight and, you know, have a crystal ball that shows them the future of the game, or at least what the company's plans for it now. Uh, most of us are basically on in the same boat in that we're discovering the game and it's, uh, you know, rapidly evolving week by week. And I think that's amazing. That's an exciting time to be on the ground floor of something. And so these kinds of interactions, you know, whether they be on Discord, on the Facebook group, you know, anywhere else, th- they add to that community. They, they add to that culture. So, yeah, uh, uh, please comment. I would love to hear what people have to say, even if it's to say you have no idea what you're talking about. We were talking about 
just the the kind of when we were talking about competitive or not, we were mentioning you know the the kind of randomness that goes into just Keyforge in general and sealed and all that. Um, and I I I had this thought while we were talking about it, but I wanted to let everyone finish what they were saying. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the existing algorithm? Uh, you know, as far as kind of accidental, unintended combos. Uh, you know, people people make the argument that you know if a combo's there, it's meant to be there. That's kind of the point of the game. But there's some combos that are just totally like game breaking. Um, you know, what what are your guys' thoughts on that? Do you think it's you think it like desperately needs tweaking? Do you think it's mostly okay? How do you think some of these crazy combos will be resolved do you think it'll just be like a whoops yeah you know call of the archon set was kind of wild huh like we fixed it now uh or do you think it'll eventually be kind of a ban list like these cards cannot exist in the same deck if you have that your deck's banned sorry sell it because it's novelty whatever um or you know or do you kind of like the the craziness about it and you think the the chain system will balance that all out i like crazy I would like nothing better than for Keyforge to stay like wild and unpredictable and out of control for the entire length of its existence. With that said, if they want the game to become tournamenty, and I have reason to believe that they will because you get support from local game stores by being able to hold tournaments, um, then they're probably going to have to do something. So I feel like the algorithm will be tweaked to reduce the chances of pulling or to completely eliminate certain decks from mm -hmm. existing. And we all know the ones that we're talking about, right? Like, you know, the, the ones that have game-breaking quote-unquote combos. Um, as much as FFG and Richard Garfield have said, no, those are supposed to exist. They're supposed to be out in the wild. I feel like at a certain point, those will be detrimental to the kind of tournament play that the game probably needs to survive and to grow. So what we may end up seeing, because I don't feel like they'll want to take the route of banning certain decks because you're basically spitting in the face of the people who like a certain combo gets banned in magic. You don't have to tear up the card and throw it away. There's other formats to play it in, etc. Whereas Keyforge, you know, a deck's a deck's a deck. So I feel like perhaps reducing or eliminating the number of new decks produced with those quote unquote game breaking combos would probably be a strategy that would work for them. And also, you know, we'll have the unintended or perhaps even intended effect of, you know, creating a certain amount of mystique around the existing decks that have them from Call of the Archons. You know, are we going to start seeing those go on eBay for $500? Maybe so. Who knows? We've already seen Double Horseman go for 2000 But I kind of like that game mystique existing. You know, that idea of just like, oh, you know, in the early days, this was possible. But, you know, now that doesn't happen anymore. So if you run up against somebody out in the wild who has that kind of deck, you know, it'll be a fun experience just for you to play against it because that never happens anymore. I like that. I think it's a cool idea. Mm-hmm. I'm in agreement with you on that. I, I definitely think that the algorithm is going to be very minutely tweaked for print runs of this after because of everyone's, you know, upheaval with this. Um, I don't think there's going to be any major until they come out with, you know, call of the whatever is after the Archons, uh, whatever, whatever set comes after, uh, whatever they want to call it. I don't, I don't see the... I don't see a lot of like the complaining. Like, there's not really a cup. There's there's like one combo I can think of that completely halts a game, and even that can be broken. It usually takes you know a turn or two to get going, 
you can see it coming. I I'm okay if I lose to something kind of crazy if I'm not able to stop it. And that's not the best for a competitive scene. I'm not going to disagree. Um, if I was in a tournament, I I'd be beyond salty. I'd be marinated. I'd be I'd be real upset if I got locked out because of a just a ridiculous kind of combo that I couldn't stop. Um, whether that being my deck choice, not having a way to break that combo, like no way to no artifact hate or anything like that. Um, but in that regard, I think it's just the lay of the land at the moment. Um, if enough people get vocal about it, you know, Fantasy Flight will definitely change their their algorithm and their cards. I I see more crazy cards coming out in future sets though like a wild wormhole that's themed to every single house i can definitely see like a brobnar where it'll be like a two or three power creature if this creature fights play the next card on top of your deck Mm kind of like it same in theme in fashion but not maybe not as extremely as powerful as wild wormhole where it's just you know clear cut and dry here's an amber here's a card go um, there might be like a hoop you have to jump through, um, but like a like yeah, a a dis one would be every time a creature gets destroyed, its owner can play the top card of their deck or something like that. I definitely see more effects in that realm. I think that's where the game will eventually kind of start steering to, is embracing the kind of I don't want to say random and crazy because again they're controlled effects, um, but I think that is more. The direction that this is going to you're going to see cards with crazier powers not just from a um the word i'm looking for a power creep that's the word i'm looking for um you won't see a power creep because every single set i think is going to be able to be the set is on its own i think that's how they're going to do it personally but i can see it being a lot more crazy and wild effects with a stipulation to cause some of those game-breaking combos to not game-break. My hope, and I'm not sure how they're going to handle sets. Um, you know, when Magic, when a new Magic set comes out, you know, the the oldest one that's still valid, it goes away, can't use it anymore. Uh, but you've still got, you know, four or five active sets of cards. Um, I'm really curious how Keyforge is going to do it. And I'm hope, my, my hope, I'm, you know, begging in my mind that they come out with another set of 370 cards, whatever it is, 400 cards. Uh, and then with the exception of maybe a couple, you know, maybe they, they leave some real broken ones out or just some, just arbitrarily pick some that don't get, you know, put out. And the next set that comes out picks from a pool of, you know, 800 cards. And then, then, you know, I think you can have those broken combos and then it'll be interesting when they pop up in the wild. And I don't know if that's, if I actually mean that or if I'm just saying it, but I, I'd be more okay with it if it was really super random and unique, but as it stands right now, like, you know, there's a, there's kind of a small pool of cards and, you know, Mavericks switch it up and make it kind of interesting. But like if, you know, if a meta, when a meta surfaces, you know, it was, it was horsemen and everyone, you know, there's so many horsemen decks out there. Everyone can get horsemen. Well, now it's time traveler. Well, you know, everyone get a time traveler deck. I I'm really hoping that these, you know, combos are developed, but they, they're picked from a big pool of, you know, potentially 800 cards in the next set or just you know 370 370 whatever and they're they're just all mixed up like that then it's you know it's even more random and your decks are even more unique and you don't you're not just like pulling these decks like man you know it's because i i see it personally you know i'll i'll open up a new deck and just be like you know man 
Like, I wish I didn't recognize all these cards. Like, I wish I didn't see, you know, two Fogify in, like, every freaking deck I pull out. Just stuff like that. I, it's just, that's that's kind of my hope. And then I'll be more okay with kind of, not game-breaking, I don't want it to ruin the game, but more OP combos because they won't be so common and so accessible i think that's the kind of scary dangerous thing about the way it works now is that like there's only so many cards to pick from that like a, a meta is established and it's just it's like you know there's no variance and you can't build out these combos so there's just kind of this vague like you know here's two cards or three cards from this house and this set that all kind of do the same thing it doesn't matter which one of them you have in your deck they all kind of help you that way um I think it'll solve that problem and you know satisfy me at least. I have another question uh, similar to that. Uh, I, I guess it's two questions. What makes a good deck good and what makes a bad deck bad? And I guess a follow-up if, if you don't have an answer to that. Um, how do you guys feel about you know, both the kind of, I don't know if we already talked about this, about the, like the ADHD ratings um, and also people, this one i have i have like a bias for like it just i thought of it today people kind of reviewing their decks um and kind of giving them ratings on youtube and stuff like that you know what what makes a good deck good or a bad deck bad or what do you you know what do you kind of look for in a deck i want them to be fun to play um i'll play a suboptimal deck if it's fun um that that you know applies to my own approach to playing the game but honestly like i've put all my decks into the ADHD tool to find out, you know, exactly how good they are. And it turns out that my most consistently winning deck is the absolute worst per those ratings. So I don't know that I put a hundred percent, you know, uh, I don't know that I believe that that necessarily says a whole lot about it because I feel like a lot of the things that make certain Keyforge decks fun and also like, you know, capable of winning a game don't necessarily get measured properly within that rubric. I'm sure it's useful for sort of high level, you know, how much Amber can you generate quickly? That's a good thing to ask when you're assessing how good a deck is. You know, how many creatures do you have? How much board control? You know, those are all things that I think you can definitely use to sort of assess the value of a deck. But I think the true value of a deck only comes out from play. So what I've discovered is... um the good decks are the ones that uh, will not leave you high and dry if you have a bad first pull. Like if you, you know, it has enough variety in it that, you know, if you don't get the one killer combo, you're not shut out of the game. Like that's at the very bottom of your 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 draw pile. So you're not getting it for at least, you know, five or six turns probably. Um <clears throat> That makes for a good deck as far as I'm concerned. Um, having stuff that's fun to play makes it a good deck. Um, having some a little bit of everything to deal with what your opponent might have, uh, assuming that you don't know what you're going into if you're sitting down across from them. What makes a bad deck, and I genuinely believe this, um, is not fun to play. Um, I have decks that are not fun to play because, uh, well, for one thing, they aren't super good against other decks, so you're just constantly getting stomped, and that's not fun to play. But also, you know, decks that just, th there's no synergy in them. Nothing that happens feels like it's leading to anything else. You can't see three steps down the road because there's no feeling like if I, you know, just can get to this card that's somewhere in my deck, then I have set myself up for 
you know, a killer turn with what's in my archive or, you know, what I've been holding in my hand waiting for that. Sometimes a deck just doesn't feel like the, I don't know if the algorithm was taking a coffee break or what was going on. It just doesn't feel like the deck has anything that makes it functional from a gameplay standpoint. Um, it's harder to put it into words because you, you'll know it when you play it because it feels bad to play. So weirdly enough, I think, you know, fun to play, not fun to play might actually be the easiest way for me to determine whether or not a, a deck is good or bad in a roundabout. Yeah, it's way. interesting what you said about your results with the uh, ADHD, because my best deck, my consistent winner is also the the highest rated. And that's what I did. I, I had bought a box and I had them all sitting in front of me and I was like overwhelmed. It's like, God, what, you know, which one of these do I crack open? Like looking at this deck list doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, so I plugged them all in there and it was the one that was like consistently green and I like compared them to each other. Uh, and that's the one that has just like been my consistent winner, like my really, my five out of five deck. Um, and maybe I just got lucky there, but you know, you're absolutely right. Like a big part of it is, you know, those are like just kind of raw statistics. Like, you know, it's like, a, I don't know, it'd be like taking two humans and you know, like a, like a, like a, you know, two humans and just boiling them down to just like, oh, they're, they're so physically fit and they're brilliant. They had the best, you know, scores and this and that they should be perfect together. And it's like, well, that doesn't take into account just like how they interact with each other and the, you know, the, the kind of deeper things in there. And like, that's how, how it works with, you know, the ADHD analyzer. Like that doesn't, it doesn't touch obviously for, for obvious reasons. It doesn't touch, you know, the card effects and the combos and how they can interact with each other and, you know, just it's there it, it leaves a lot to to kind of chance like your your raw data is there so it's worth looking at and you brought up something interesting i think unintentionally and i don't know if it actually fly in the context of a tournament but um it actually ties into one of the first things we were talking about too is when it comes to analyzing your opponent's deck in that two minute window if it's allowed it might be best just to pull that bad boy up on you know burger tokens or whatever keyforge compendium and and like just learn how to interpret that data of just you know they this is a real board controlled deck or this is a real you know amber gen deck and play it like that you obviously look at the list and see if there's anything that stands out but you know that i guess i'll, I'll even suggest it for casual play like if you can do that that and you're you're not super comfortable with keyforge you know you can't look at a list and analyze it and know exactly what to do plug that bad boy into that website and that'll give you something some something really you know super tangible some you know, to to kind of look out and prepare for you like oh this thing is just really going to be crazy about amber generation uh, and if you haven't looked at that yet um go to keyforgecompendium.com keyforge-compendium and you know plug in some of your decks in there uh it's a really useful tool they just updated it a whole lot and added some like a deep analytical view that that really shows you what you got going on in your deck by the tournament rules you can't do that as as they are, as they are written right now, you cannot bring in basically any foreign information. Like nope, yeah, nope, no way. Uh, I'd have to go and look in, through the actual doc and see where like, but it, it, it's in there. Better start studying those flashcards, Nick. Yeah. Yep. Start studying those flashcards. So. <laughs> or just learn how to um, how to manually process all that information on my own. Can I get a scratch pad? Oh yeah. Yeah, if you could just just manually, just mentally do the ADHD math. I mean, no I got deal, two minutes. You know? Um, so I, I, I kind of agree with the deck feel when you're piloting for a good for a good or a bad deck. Um, I don't. I I think that my answers are going to be a lot easier and cut, more cut and dry. That a good deck is going to be a deck that 
either A, has answers to common problems, B, synergizes extremely well with itself, or C, is able to mess with the opponent enough to break A or B off the opponent's deck. Um, which, again, it kind of goes into a... Is it an aggro or a control deck with A and A and C? And B kind of just needs a little bit of support. Like, I I think the best decks out there right now are going to have Mars or Logos in them. Not strictly because they're the strongest cards, but because they have the most supportive cards. And you're able to get a bunch of card draw, which seems to me personally be the strongest thing in this game, is how fast can you get through that deck. Um, again, there's going to be other choices and your deck is going to differentiate, but I think the, if you looked at a hundred decks, if you looked at a hundred thousand decks, the deck that has a lot more draw is going to have a better chance at winning most games, in my personal opinion. Um, and a bad deck will honestly just, not even that I won't feel right. It's going to be actually detrimental to your play. Um, like, if you have... I'm There's a Martian, the Plague Master. It kills humans. That's what it does. It shows up, it kills humans. It's cool. I had a deck with that with Sanctum. And all the Sanctum creatures are human knights. And it also had Logos with some scientists. And I would almost always throw the card away. Because it was, it was extremely detrimental to my board state to play this card. Um, same thing I see a lot of people complain about Phosphorus Stars. The um, stun every non-Mars creature in play, gain a couple chains. I I see constantly people are like, I just throw this card away. It's I draw it and I'm like, oh, no thanks. And I discard it. And I think that's the key to a bad deck. is something that inhibits your ability to win actively. Um, but I mean, it's not, it is not such cut and dry as I say it in that way, but that's to me personally, like what I look for in a deck. If I'm like, is this, is this a good deck? Is this a bad deck? Yeah. I'll plug in the ADHD and see the raw stats. I'll, I also actually, my best deck is like minus one or minus two off ADHD. Like it's, it's a bad ADHD deck. Um, but as long as I can control the board state, I win. I'm also going to put it out there that uh, I think probably the best and most, you know, I, I get for lack of a better term, because we already spent a great deal of time talking about this, competitive decks are the ones that can generate amber quickly. Like if you could sit down, you know, this is an exercise I've done a couple times just to mess around to try and get the feel for a deck. Um, sit down with a deck and, uh, you know, don't even play against an imaginary player. Assume that you're playing against somebody who just passes every single turn. How fast can you generate the Amber to win the game? How many turns does that take you? And what I found trying that with all my decks is that the ones that I actually seem to consistently win with are the ones that I can do that the fastest with in unopposed play. And I actually feel the opposite almost entirely because I I much prefer a control game. Um, so, like, I don't care exactly how much Amber you can generate a turn if I can keep putting roadblocks in the way. And that that's 100% a style, stylized difference. Um, 
and I'll 100% admit that I think I'm wrong when I say this, because this game at its base core is a race to get to your 16 amber or how or 18 amber. Wow, 16. It's late. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I definitely feel that I am wrong with my assessment in that regard. But it's just my style of play. I'd rather lock you down and make you have a much harder time to climb and get that amber than you and I both have a race and it just comes down to which deck can make more amber faster. So I'll give the same lame answer that everyone gives. And it's this isn't a dig at you guys because I think you said the same thing. But it's just like it's like a non-answer. It's just, you know, good synergy. Like the deck has to interact with each other. Like oh, it's it's super handy when the cards call for other cards and they they work particularly well together and they allow you to kind of just just do do what you know they help kind of embrace your particular play style you know if you like board control if you have cards that kind of facilitate that or if you like amber generation cards that let you you know throw those amber generators down and do things like that like it's all it's really more than just you know, the, the cards within them, but how they kind of interact with each other. And it's tricky in a game like this because you're, you're kind of working around cards that work against you or just are you know, useless to you in that, that respect. But that's, that's kind of what I look for. The only way to find that is by playing it. And maybe that's why I'm so confused in general, just by people that look at deck lists and know how a deck plays. Cause it really takes me a couple plays to, to figure out if a good a deck is good or not, you know, like it, like we've all just said, the ADHD score doesn't really, necessarily indicate that um, and it seems like more often than not it's kind of the opposite so maybe it does just in the opposite direction just look for a bad deck with a really bad rating and maybe that's your your star player but i don't know and a bad deck's you know just kind of the opposite of that one where cards just don't interact particularly well with each other or it's, it's easier to designate what a bad deck is you know a deck with you know two you know too few creatures or you know too too many useless actions or you know whatever it may be that's that's hindering you it's hard to just put a blanket statement on it but that's that's a common complaint is that it's you know it's not bringing enough creatures and it's consistently you know you're losing board control and losing the game because of that or you know cards that don't interact with your you know your your opponent in a way that you're looking for super vague answers but i will say this uh, it's kind of a gripe kind of a word of warning um take what people reviewing decks say with a real grain of salt and whether that's you're just watching youtube for fun or if you're on the buy sell group and you know somebody's saying oh this is a great deck it's got these two cards in it buy it for 50 dollars." you know be really weary of that because i've listened to you know dozens of people just super recently i've just wanted any any keyforge content i can find so i've listened to you know dozens of people like here's my deck i just wanted to review it let you know what's going on and they all if you listen closely they all have nothing to say they're just going through the deck list, like reading the effect of a card and just saying like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be really handy. That'd be really good. All right. On to the next one. And like it's a, it's a really specific thing to gripe about. But, you know, in, in the context of like the buy sell group, you know, if somebody tells you a deck is good. Well, first, I'll say you can identify the people in there that are just buying Keyforge just to sell it. And that's OK. If you're buying a deck from those people, you know, they have they don't have a. A hand in the race you know they they will sell their best decks if you see somebody on there that plays keyforge you know they're selling their deck for a reason keep that in mind you know they're selling their deck because it's probably not particularly good you know and that's great if it's better than your deck sure go for it 
but just like that's an important thing to remember like you know ask yourself why is this person selling this deck especially if they're you know in that description they're talking about how great it is and oh how much synergy it has and this and that it's like well you know keep yourself keep yourself in reality and just try to try to ask yourself why they're selling it and you can ask them you know they might and the answer will probably be bs but you know don't be afraid to kind of poke at these people they're you know it's important to you know kind of like we said earlier it's a key forge in a hole is a blank slate so we we kind of have the opportunity now to dictate how everything works so you know don't hesitate to like really grill the person you're about to buy a deck from and you know ask them how many other decks they have and how many other ones they're selling and how often they play and this and that you know you'll be annoying for sure but you won't get scammed that way so that's just something that was i i I was listening to something earlier and that reminded me of that just we i guess my if i had to like sum that up into something that actually made sense and wasn't just nonsense um where it's we're all so new to this game that there isn't any you know objective best there's no you know this is good this is bad this is what makes something good this is what makes something bad it's all totally up in the air it's all totally uncertain we're you know nobody really knows for sure we're all figuring it out so don't get discouraged like we're all you know the it's they're literally called the age of discovery so you know don't you know just understand that it, you don't have to feel bad you're you're not behind anyone else you're no worse than anyone else is at Keyforge. Just you know, keep on trucking. But it looks like we are at the hour mark, a little past. Um, so we'll go ahead and call it here for this week. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we just started a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the Keyforge. So if, if you're super into the show and you want us to, you know, you want to show thanks and give us give us some things to work with to kind of create new content that might you know, kind of put a strain on our wallets, you know, feel free to pledge. It, it's, it's a real tangible way to show you, you know, how much you like the show. Um, you know, also if you, if you can't afford anything, that's fine. You know, it doesn't bother us one bit. Like we talked about earlier that those comments and that, that kind of interaction, we, we really thrive off of it. And it does give us something to, to actually look at physically look at and say like, Oh, you know, this many people are paying attention. This many people care and this and that. So, you know, comment your hearts off, you know, car- comment, until your fingers bleed we we we'll go back and forth with you we love it um stay tuned this week um to both the keyforge.com and youtube.com slash the keyforge i know there's a number of uh like audio shows hitting that channel this week um if not already by the time you're listening to this uh, i'm also gonna just go super hard on those articles uh so hopefully there's you know a couple new things to read every day uh, we're always open to suggestions. If you if you have any ideas for content you want to see, videos, articles, stuff like that, just scream them in our ears. You know, we're we we want to create the content you guys want to see, read, hear, all that stuff. Um, you know, uh, I put a little note there to get rid of this. You know, another thing is uh, we are so happy to have contributors. Uh, if you're a writer and you want to write some articles, we'd love for you to join our team. If you're a content creator, if you're a video maker, we would love for you to post videos on the Keyforge channel. Um, so if, if that's something you want to do, you know, if you want to host a podcast, if you want to make unboxing videos, you know, get get in touch with me. You know, I'm I'm on the Discord. I'm in the Facebook group. Ask me, you know what you need to do to get started. I can help you as far as, you know, video quality, audio quality, editing, you know, we our our core goal, uh, you know, with this show and our channel and our website is to be, you know, the one-stop shop for all things Keyforge. So 
it's it's only in our benefit to partner with as many people as we can and create the best content that covers all the bases so everyone's happy so you know if you're one of those people that wants to put content out there but doesn't know where to start and you know doesn't want to scream into the void and have an empty audience well, we have an audience we'll share it with you so you know reach out to us if you want to join us but if not you know thank you guys for listening um you know stay tuned same time next week this episode you know another episode of library access will be out there will be another half dozen podcasts to listen to hopefully on the channel um until next time we will uh we'll see you then thanks